0: WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. Also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. I'm Mubaraka Ibrahim, and this is Mornings with Mubaraka where we talk about national issues from a local level through a lens of diversity. That includes a little bit of history, a little bit of politics, a little bit of current affairs, a little bit of what we feel like talking about today. So today we are going to dive in a little bit of history. And I am um, kind of excited to learn a lot today. So hopefully you're going to be on this learning journey with me. You know, when... Alex Haley's 1977 autobiographical autobiographical, uh, slavery saga was redone last summer. I got a text from an African-American Christian friend of mine saying, I just realized that the family and roots are Muslim. And I was surprised. And so I asked her if she had like, did you see the original version? Because surely all African-American families made it an annual tradition to watch Roots once a year. And it was a three day event. I remember this growing up so clearly. (laughs) She said that she had in her family, too, engaged in this African-American tradition. But they never thought of the enslaved Africans religion as being Muslim. And so that's kind of curious to me because, you know, growing up as an African-American Muslim, it was very clear and we were very proud to point out the little bit of uh, um, terminologies that the director and writers, I assume, threw in there to make sure that the identity their identity um, was known, like referring to God as a or saying inshallah and a few little other um, Arabic terms that they would put inside of the show. Um, and so I asked her, I'm like, so like, what did you, what religion do you think Africans followed before they were enslaved? And she's like, well, she thinks that they were probably pagans and that's all she really thought of. She didn't really think of them having kind of like a structured, uh, uh, sent-down religion, <laughs> um, structured in the terms of, of, of Islam or Christianity or Jew- Judaism. Um, and so that was really curious to me. So fast forward to uh, last, last week, I think it was, and I sat down with my husband to watch the PBS documentary by Henry Louis Gates, African Civilization which documents the religious, political, intellectual and cultural history of sub-saharan african continent and i was struck by the segment in which he spoke of The Substantial Intellectual and Educational History of Timbuktu. And Gates himself seemed to almost be in tears as he remembered being taught as a child that Africans were uneducated or unlettered and to find the rich education and intellectual history of Timbuktu kind of blew him away. And so that was a perfect uh, segue into me Looking forward to this particular interview. Um, the idea of the uncultured and uneducated African is one that has been significantly challenged over the last few years, in particular. Sharing narratives of sub Saharan Africa is, in particular, has been a form of activism in this age of resistance. Using education as a way of empowerment and social activism is the mission of my guest today, Rakayat Yacoub. Welcome and thank you for joining me.
1: Good morning. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation.
0: So Rakayat is an AMI certified Montessori elementary educator and education activist who seeks to integrate knowledge of self into all aspects of children's learning. She has written a series of stories and lesson plans for educators that can be used in teaching English, language arts, reading, writing, Islamic studies, or social studies. Rekhaya is particularly interested in history and education and has combined these pursuits in her research projects, Women of Light, a look at the literary and educational legacy of Nana Asma'u and empowered revelation, which highlights the impact Islam has made on the lives of women through the ages. So I am excited to learn a lot. Rukhaya. I had me personally, I had a, a very kind of like uh, diverse education experience growing up. I was I went to public school part time. I was homeschooled at some at certain points. I went to private Islamic school at certain points. I ended my education in in, uh, a traditional um, uh, uh, university. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. What information about African history was information about African history and scholarship a part of it? What was your education like growing up?
1: Okay, so I grew up in two different continents. Um, I was born in the UK, and I lived there until I was nine. So I spent my early childhood in England. And then when I was nine years old, our family moved to Nigeria, and I lived there until I was 18. So I did middle and high school in Nigeria. So in England, I really didn't learn much about these things. And, I, and I'm not sure how things are now because I've been living in America for the last 15 years. I'm not sure if that has changed much, I know the idea of... I think the closest we've come to really learning much about um, African history was really about slavery. And sadly, that's the the exposure that most children have to African history. Um, Fast forward to Nigeria, we did learn quite a little bit about Nigerian history, being that I was growing up in Nigeria and going to school in Nigeria. So that that was great. We learned a little bit about... You know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with him. He was he was a great scholar and a leader in a northern Nigeria and the surrounding areas. And we learned a little bit about him, but it wasn't really framed in a way that a child could really understand and appreciate. It was more um, either, oh, he was great, but no detail as to what he did, or it was just seen as, okay, he's part of our history, but you didn't really get to know who he was. <laughs> And, and that's one of the reasons why I'm just trying to flip things and just say, okay, children are able to learn all about the different amazing presidents that we've had in America. They're able to learn about the, you know, different things that are going on around the world. They're also capable of understanding African um, Islamic history and African history. And I think, and, and this is one of the reasons why I'm doing the work I'm doing now.
0: So when you, um, so... So even in Nigeria, it, it was kind of like limited. So when you came to the United States, what part of your education was in the United States, and what was some of the difference in the education here in terms of history, in terms of world history, world history that you found? Well, I moved to
1: America when I was twenty-five, so I'd already done. I did my undergraduate degree in the UK. When I came here, I started to. Really I think part of it was really having children. It made me start to look at what it is that I wanted to be able to transmit to them mm. and I started to look back in, into my own history you know in Nigerian history as well as world history and the only education i mean formal that I did here was my teacher training. I did that in in a, in a, in a, in America, but most of it has really been research reading, interviewing. Um, historians, and what I've actually found from the historians I've interacted with is, masha'Allah, they are very open, very willing to share the information. And the only problem, the only the the challenge is though is that they they tend to be very busy people, and this is one of the reasons why they do write for their for their peers, but not for the people who really need to have this information, mm-hmm. i.e., the parents, the children who are coming up. So, uh, an example of this is. Um, uh, two years or so after I moved to America, I connected with Jean Boyd, who is one of the foremost historians and authorities on Nana Asmao, who we're going to be looking at today. And it's interesting because she's in the UK. I didn't connect with her in the UK. It was actually after moving to America that I made that connection mm-hmm. with her, and I was able to get, be, be mentored by her and um, and really be inspired by the work that she did. And she was just very open in sharing, you know, her research. You know her experiences and really just pointing me in you know in a different in in, in assisting me in my search another person who was able to help and this was just recently. I contacted a, an old friend of mine telling him that I was taking i was working on lesson plans and I really wanted to have more um women' scholars and he He sent me about five to ten about ten pdf files of research that one of his friends had done who was a you know historian in Canada. And in one of them, it was just story after story of amazing African women. You know? so, <laughs> and but the thing is that this is his research. It's not really written the way that most people can really, you know, really enjoy it and benefit yeah. from it. And definitely not children. Yeah. When I told him what I wanted to do, he's like, "You can use it. No restraints. You don't have to. You know, don't worry about giving any, you know, attribution to, to me. Just use the information because I want to mm-hmm. get that information out there." What I've seen is. The people who are doing a lot of this work do want to get the information out there. They just need more people who are writers, who are artists, who are you know, who, who can actually work on disseminating this information.
0: So, is it is it that once you is it only? It's almost like the the information is contained within just specific types of circles: researchers, um, um, higher education uh, educators. And, it's, yeah. and the knowledge isn't trickling down? Is that what the problem seems to be? I mean, This is what I'm seeing. I mean, recently there have been quite a few
1: articles about, you know, um, major Islamic African literary figures and, and, uh, and uh, sc- leaders and scholars. But even that, it's still to a specific audience. Mm. I think really to make an, an, a, a real impact, it has to get down to children. Did because you are going to be growing up with these ideas and just seeing this as very normal so and I'm, I'm, I'm curious to, to
0: know your your take. Did you see the uh six part um series with Dr. Henry Louis Gates on African civilization?
1: I have seen clips of it, but I haven't had the opportunity to watch the whole thing yet
0: okay, but so I'm looking
1: forward to doing that yet
0: yeah. okay because i i, I want I was interested in your feedback on it. I ever, I've heard various things, you know, I've heard lots of mostly definitely overwhelmingly positive. And then I was reading uh an article that was saying that um uh, that that had some critique of it um being from a colonial point of view and I just I was re- I was interested in your um so as you as you watch it, keep that in mind and let me know <laughs> at a later time. That would be really interesting. So tell me um, why do, you, why do you think that these stories are so important to get into the education system? What is the impact of knowing these kind of stories? What is the impact is it going to have on children of color? And even what is the impact do you think that it will have on white children if they know these stories? What do you say to people who say, like, why do kids need to know this?
1: I mean, think back to, to ourselves as children. There's certain things that we learned as children that we still hold on to now, 20, 30 years later. So I think the things that you do learn as a child, it impacts you. It, it forms the way you view the world, how you view yourself. And if you think about it, your average child in school, especially your average you know, European-American child, they are seeing themselves represented in all the different subjects all day long, and they have a good sense of who they are because of this. Whether you, whether it's, and then you go home on the TV and then the books that you read, everywhere you see yourself being represented in different ways. Mm. This isn't the case for most people of color, especially not, um, I mean, generally most people of color this isn't the case. And when it is done, it's, it isn't really written from a place of understanding of this, that this particular person is contributing their own story to, to society. It's more, a, it's more as a by, bystander to someone else's story. Mm. so and this is uh, that's the first part of my answer the second thing is children like I said children need to know who they are but isn't just the African American child who needs to know who he is the white child the the white or Hispanic or whatever the background is they need to understand the contribution that each different people has made to this country and to this world because the way because once they have that understanding there's a natural respect that follows from that Mm. there's a natural sense of, oh, okay, everyone is bringing something to the table. And even as little children, you're not thinking in that way, but subconsciously you're building your idea of the world. And when you see a certain people as not contributing to that world, even though they have, but you see that they haven't, you have a certain subconscious perception of who they are, what they can do, what they have done. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you begin to understand that these are the different contributions that they have made to their own society, to the world and, and as a whole, you have, you just have a different kind of respect and love for people when you have that for your own self, but also for the people around you. And that's the reason why I feel it's important for all children. And it need to be in schools and in classrooms so that all children can benefit from it. I'll give you one little example. I used to teach in an Islamic school and I taught third grade. And I had... You know, one, two top African-American children each each year I Mm taught. But all the children really enjoyed learning about these figures. And I would bring them into the classroom because I thought that these children, and not just because they're Muslim, but children generally need this information. But for these children, I, I want them to understand this history of any particular Muslim majority country or even minority country is the history of all of us. You know, because because it, the it that we are citizens of the globe, and we need to understand the more that each person, that each people have played. And I I brought it into the classroom, and I had these little children. You know, senior, like one person, Palestinian girl said this to me when I gave her the story of you Nasser. Know, we did it in the classroom. We're learning about the role that scholars can play in the in the government. And I gave an example of the things that she did, and the children, they were just, they loved the story, and they were they were very excited by it. And one thing she said to me is. It was so nice learning about a Muslim. And I'm like, this is a little Muslim girl in a Muslim school and she's <laughs> saying this to me. And the reason why is that we you know, we don't learn the history, the, our history what we have done and what we have achieved.
0: It, so and, and it sounds like it can be it. Yeah. it can be on different levels, not just learning that it was a contribution of a muslim but also there's not a lot of stories about contribution of women in particular women yeah. in, in general society in meaning in our global citizenship and women in islam those are things that are i th- I think are are much lacking If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio, also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. You're listening to Mornings with Mubaraka, where we are talking to Rukaiet Yakub about uh, the intellectual and scholarship history of African women. Um, And... Your has written a research paper, a research project, particularly around Nana, the legacy of Nana Asmau. So, before you get into telling us a little bit about her legacy, give me a little insight as to why did you choose her of all the people that you read about? Why did you feel that her story was the one you wanted to focus on?
1: Okay. One of the reasons is I, just, I, I do remember her from my childhood. Just the name, but I do remember. And that's the thing about touching people when they're children, because there's certain things you do remember and it stays with you. And I, start to, I started to read different books, and I realized that thanks to the work that was done primarily by a Boyd, boy, there's so much information about her. And that's one of the reasons why she sticks out so much is because so much work has been done. You know that this particular woman put in the work, decades of work actually. <laughs> that ma- that makes her work so, that makes Nana Smiles' work so accessible. And that's why you can actually read her work, Nana Smiles' work in English. she's available; for, it, it's been translated. You can you can get a, a collection of her work, and in there you've got the original Arabic um, manuscripts that's been included in the actual printing of the, in the printing of the book, as well as the English and commentary on it. So it's it's quite. It's it's accessible. That's one of the reasons. But also, the thing about her is, she just—I mean—in her time, it wasn't—it was quite common for women to study, especially if they came from families where the mothers, the grandmothers, the fathers, different people were scholars. It was just very common to find, you know, very highly literate women. That was. But the thing that made her quite different was that she was very active, you know, in the in in the wider society with her knowledge. And that's one of the reasons why I believe that her knowledge is now is now so prolific because of her students. When a person does have students, they tend to spread the knowledge, and it spreads further and further and further. So you might have one particular woman who is a scholarly woman, but she might teach, you know, locally within her home or even in the community. But if the students aren't taking the knowledge, writing down, taking notes, disseminating the person's writings then there's only so far that person's impact is going to be. Whereas with her, there's about, I think, 60 of her works that are accessible. And there are other ones that are in families' collections. That, and the thing about Nana Small's works, before Jean Boyd interacted with the family and got hold of the manuscripts, no one really knew exactly how many there were. So there are probably other people out there whose works are you know, in families' Um, you know, collections that are that their family has access to, but not the general public. Mm. So, so the main thing about her is, you know, the number of students that she had, the impact that she had, the fact that she established an education system that was across a wide, a wide area of land. Like so, so, reading, so, tell me, read,
0: and so I'm gonna, I'm going to admit my ignorance. I have actually not heard of her until I looked, until I was about to interview you. So. Oh, wow. Where is she from? Tell me okay. the highlights All of right. her story.
1: <laughs> okay, she is from what is now known as Nigeria. During the time she lived, this was before the the colonial um, countries came in and cut Africa into different um, into different regions, now different countries. But it's in the area that is northern Nigeria, Niger, Cameroon, as well as some of the other little parts of the other countries around there, but it was a quite a wide space of area. But the main place that she lived and died in is a city called um, a city called Sokoto, which is a northwestern part of Nigeria. And one point I wanted to make is that she had there was student, the, the network of education that she set up spans from one at, at end of Nigeria to the other. We're talking about over a thousand kilometers. You have women on the other side of the country who are familiar with her studies, with with, with her work, with her poetry, and would actually come out to uh, to her and to her successors up until the present day in order to study in you know, her writings and her and her her teachings.
0: And and what does she write about?
1: Okay, she wrote a variety of things. She wrote about the Prophet peace be upon him. She wrote Sira. She wrote about. She actually um, wrote a poem that enables you to memorize the surahs in the Qur'an in order. Mm-hmm. You can actually memorize this poem and you've got the whole 114 of them in order. Wow. She also wrote about history. You know, she was witness to witness certain battles. She wrote about what she saw, what she experienced. She wrote about a governor who was not being very responsible and she wrote her criticism of him so she wrote a wide range of things she wrote about women who just did everyday things like looked after their families and were good neighbors and were kind and were generous you know she wrote about her, her brother who was a great scholar and military leader but the thing she focused on really was his character so she you know she wrote about a wide range of things
0: so it, it is these are these writings like Treaties are they books are they articles, like when you say she wrote about them, what was the extent of her writings um,
1: each some of them are some are poetry, some are prose, I guess you'd say more like treaties because they're between you know three to five pages, a lot of the ones we have okay. um, some are a little bit longer, and some of the books she wrote were actually originally written by her father in. Uh, Solani, which was the language that she grew up speaking. But because it wasn't the language of the masses, she translated them into Hausa, which is the language that most people around her spoke to make the knowledge more accessible.
0: Okay. And and so what was it about her writing and her scholarship that made her stand out from anybody else that, that, that write what was it? What was it about her?
1: I think part of it was the fact that it was rhymed, it was writing poetry, so people could sing it. And the thing is that, it's not, so the way that poetry worked, it wasn't like a static sort of um, recitation. It was more of a song. So I think I think that, the actual the actual um, mode it was written in made it easier for people to memorize. And I think the system that was established made it easier for the information to be disseminated. And the thing I wanted to mention as well is that she was through in a number of languages, not just the ones I mentioned, but she wrote in three, but she was fluent in
0: 5 mm. And you, you said that you talked to your students about her political impact. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Okay, so we were learning about government, and I thought it would be nice for them to understand a little bit about how this works in, in, in the Islamic framework. So I explained to them that you have your, your rulers, rulers, and you have your scholars, and traditionally scholars were independent from the rulers. They were independent group. They... If a person decided this was a vocation for them, they they would study, they would become a scholar, and then from the ranks of scholars, the rulers would then pick judges. So the judges were a little bit less, I guess, less impartial because they were picked by the by the rulers. So she um, would with, uh, the, there were governors of the time as well as caliphs of the time who would seek her advice about certain issues that were going on, but also she wrote her criticism of. Things that she saw and decided that she felt needed to change. That's you know some of the impact that she had,
0: and and that was impactful because they listened to her. It
1: was, and also it's the idea of you know, for example, with the children. I think what what them was that they could actually make an impact through their writing. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be something you write that becomes, I guess, viral, or you know, in this in this sense. It, it did become that because her writing was so widespread that everybody was aware of what she wrote. So it was, it was like, you know how you put things out on YouTube now? It was kind of like that. It, okay. it just kind of spread. Um,
0: she was like the, the she was like the Facebook, the, the Facebook
1: of her day. I'm sorry? She was like the Facebook of her day. And then did know just fascinating by the fact that, wow, I, I can write something. I could share something. I could make up a little song or, a, or a poem that, other people might like and it becomes catchy and it starts to spread and mm-hmm. the fact that she was a woman as well because they weren't used to that and it's, it's sad to say this in 20 just uh, happened in 2015 but you know in, in this, this, this time we live in children are still surprised to see women doing these sort of things. And actually, one of the boys, I asked them for their, for anything they were changing the story. One of the boys was like, oh, I wish it was a boy. And I was just like, really? you know, you have so many stories about boys, you want this as well, you know, but that, you know, he's an he's, he's eight-year-old, you know.
0: <laughs> he wish it was a boy <laughs> wow okay that's funny but you know I mean, what, what, like to, what that this, does is that, they, there is
1: that people like to see themselves that, the i was just getting
0: ready to 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 to, to make the, that similar comment is that you know it just shows that kids want to see themselves in the stories that they yeah. learn um so as he's saying oh i wish it was a boy there's a girl who's saying i'm so glad that it's a girl <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So tell me. Um, so so let's talk a little bit about your um, your your effort to take these notable people in African history and break it down so that children grow up with these stories. And so so I, I'm kind of viewing it or understanding it as it you're trying to trickle the knowledge down. So tell me a yeah. little bit about um, your effort in turning it into teachable um, um, curriculums for teachers.
1: Okay. Now, in, in my classroom, I would tell stories orally and the kids would love it, but it would just be more relaxed because it was oral. The moment I started taking these stories and writing them down as passages and having like questions and answers at the end, it became more academic. Like, oh, we're actually doing work now. You, could, you mm-hmm. got to bring your dictionary out to check for some vocabulary words as you're doing your work, you might have to, you know, look in the thesaurus to make sure that you're using the right right words to express what, exactly what you want to say. So I saw this change the way that they, they they took this extra information that we were doing. And I realized that, for example, in, in Georgia, there's some historical figures that everyone studies in the, in, the, in the third grade. You know, you have Frederick Douglass, Paul Revere, um... um The names are escaping me now, but there are a number of them. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be able to bring in some other stories that reflected more the children in the classroom, the people of the children in the classroom, to show them that the same character trait that we're learning in these other great American heroes, we can learn in other American and and American heroes. And I I took out... um, Bilali Muhammad, and I think you're familiar with Sapala Island and his descendants being there. I took this story out for them because I wanted to show them. this is somebody who was born, you know, in West Africa in Guinea. He was a, he brought brought to the to the New World. He had memorized the Quran. He had he had been, you, know, you know, he had studied the 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 the, the 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 Deen traditionally in his homeland, and he was able to write out, you know, Islamic law pa- passages from the Quran from memory and someone nobody could take from him because it was inside of him mm. you know so these, these stories I wrote them for the children because what I wanted to do is bring a whole number of characters into the, story, into the classroom but I realized there were no children's books on them So if I would bring a lot of characters in, I would have to write all the stories. So I I scaled down and said, okay, I'm going to take three stories, actually four stories, and just focus on them. And I just wrote those stories for them. And I realized I want to share with other people, I need to write a lesson plan. Because that way, a person who doesn't have a background in West African history or American Islamic history could actually take these lesson plans and use them in teaching the performance standards that they want to teach. For example, there's the idea of teaching children the... You know, ethics are taught through social studies. So things like leadership, courage, diligence, corporations, these skills are taught in social studies. But they're taught through stories of great people who who use those character traits to um, to change their societies. And I realized that if we are going down to the essence of what's being taught, any particular story can be used. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, the stories that were here. And I, think that I wanted them to know those stories, so the stories that were in the curriculum, we did do them. But in addition to them... I brought in those other stories. That. So, then, what and,
0: do you and, what do you say to people who may have a response of, "We're in America; we don't need to learn what's not American." They just need to learn an American history. What do you say to those people? The,
1: the truth is, African history is part of American history because Africans were brought to this country. So, and and that's that part of their history. And the thing is, we learn about you know Roman history. Greek history, all of these different people who are not American people. But the thing is, why America identifies with them, and they identify with what they achieved, and they see it, as, see it as part of their story. And I really, and, and, and the same thing, I think whatever was, has been achieved in Africa and other parts of the world is part of the story of America, because America is a melting pot. All these different people were brought together, so their histories have to be part of our history as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5, New Haven's Home for Community Radio, also streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. Today we are talking to, this is Mornings with Mubarakah, and today we are talking to Rakayat Yakub um, about history, education, uh, African history, and notable people, and the importance of incorporating this into, our, into stories for children. So you are working on your first children's book. What is Correct. it about, and tell me about it.
1: Okay. So it's about a great leader who lived in the time of the um, French occupation of Senegal. His name is um, Ahmed Bamba, like And he he lived at a time where, anything is that about colonialism? It's, I mean, when you look at the history of colonialism, wherever you go, it wasn't a pretty picture. It was a very a very sad time in history. A lot of atrocities were committed. And this is the kind of world that he was living in. And he dealt with with this situation in a way that we can learn a lot from. He his main aim was to really focus on 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 the love of God, love of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and service to humanity. And this kind of infuriated the French because he wouldn't really do anything that would give them an excuse to to get rid of him. But they still found ways to make things difficult for him. But the reality is, even though they did do things, they weren't able to stop him from doing his writing, from his ideas spreading, um, from him teaching. I mean, for, he spent about, he spent almost over 30 years of his life either in exile or under house arrest because the French were so concerned about him. Even though he was a, he was a, peace, uh, he was a peace leader, he was a nonviolent resist, resistor, he didn't do a single thing to warrant any of the any of the um, the accusations that were made against him, or the concerns that the French had, but because of his steadfastness, it, it actually changed the course of his country. And this is basically what this. I don't want to go into the whole thing now because I want you to get the book. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but this shows children how patience, perseverance, faith these are all things that can lead to success. So this is basically what this book is about.
0: And so, and I,
1: at my second book, which I'm also working on, is about Sheikh and A for children. So those will be an introduction to her life, to what she achieved. So those are two books to watch out for in the summer, inshallah.
0: I was getting, that, that was going to be my next question. So where are you in the process of getting it published? Is it going to be in, when is it going to be in stores or available for people to, to purchase?
1: Inshallah, in the summer. Right now, I am, the, the first story, actually both have been written, but it's the the Nana Small story is just in the first draft right now. There's more work that needs to be done with it. The one with um, Sheikh, um, Sheikh Ahmed Obamba, it's, it's written, it needs to be edited, and we're working on illustrating right now. So I've been able to get some illustrators who are doing it because I want this to be a beautiful picture book, the kind of picture book that a child will pick up and just just want to study the pictures and just look at the pictures because they're so engaging, so,
0: as well as the text. So really what age range is it? Enjoy together. And what age range is it geared towards?
1: Uh, well, picture books are generally three to eight, and for the younger children, it's more the parent reading, whereas for the older ch- child, they could read themselves and pretty much understand what's going on. I mean, the older children also could read it, because even myself, I love picture books. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, but the main aim is for younger children. And what I'm doing with it is I decided to publish these myself, because they're people who have stories, and I want to be able to provide a platform for them, and this is why I established a publishing house. Okay. So that we can actually bring these stories together and people who feel oh I can't write or I don't have time or I don't have the resources behind them they know that there is a place where they can publish these stories.
0: And so that, that's the that is the publishing house that you that you have initiated is so that yes. you can bring other people's stories to books for kids as well. Is it specifically for children? Is that your focus? Yes, it is
1: it is focused on children. And children it's you know, younger children as well as um, elementary age children and um, middle school, and as well, as well as young adults.
0: Okay, so as you, so do you? When you say young adults, is are you talking about like tween age, like ten, eleven? I'm talking
1: about all the way to, I guess, teenagers. Yeah, teenagers. because we need books for them too. We need engaging stories for them as well. And I know there has been some work done in that particular field, but there's always need for more. You go into the bookstore and you see or library, you see dozens and dozens and dozens of books on my Little King. And they're all amazing books. So I think, you know, we need to have more stories. I just, I'm a great proponent of books, so. <laughs>
0: uh, absolutely. And especially stories that reflect the children um, and for them to see themselves in the stories. Because as you uh, learned and, and, and shared with us that, you know, kids are definitely looking to see themselves in the stories that you tell them. So tell, so uh, we only have a few more minutes left of the show. Tell, t- give me some, give us a little bit of advice as to how parents can um, take part in giving those children, giving children the story. So what well, a parent is not going to go and read the research. Is there resources for parents? Is there, what, what can parents do to start and maybe even some teachers who may be listening who want to start, start incorporating the, these stories into the children that they teach. How, how can people do that?
1: Well, that's a great question. One thing I would advise people to do is it doesn't even have to be you reading like 10 or even 5, 10 books about a particular figure. Even if you were to read an article and just sharing a little bit of that, each you know, Week or so, it it makes an impact, you know. Because I know it can seem it can seem kinda like daunting, you know. Where do I start? But I do think you know, there's a lot of great articles, especially during Black History Month. Although it should be, you know, I mean, we need to learn history all of the time. But during Black History Month, <laughs> there's always a lot of you know articles out there. And uh, you know, I would just you know read things, share what you find, you know. Just and if you can you it can even just be done orally just to start with, where you know in the, you know bedtime you just tell them a little story i mean one of the things i would love to do is compile you know some of the information that i have to be able to share it Mm -hmm. and you know supporting people who do want to present this kind of information i think what i'm going to do to answer this question is try and compile some information for (laughs) you i'm thinking of different things right now but there's like it's difficult to kind of like give all of it all of it in just one like you know, in a right. few minutes. But there are a few books out there and I would and I would also listen to talks. There's something I used to do when my children were little. I would listen to talks through the day and in the night time I would retell them the stories to them. <laughs> so that they you know, so that I'm just recycling the information I have, but it's building their knowledge base.
0: So- because So I'm kind of putting you on the spot a little bit, but can you, because I, I, but can you, do you know if there's any website or resources in particular that people can, can search up? We can put on a Google search and we can share on our Facebook page as well.
1: Okay. I know it was a book recently published that has a lot of the stories of, if you want that, this is, I think it's particular to Black Sahaba. And African so Sahaba, uh, uh, that so was black by, I think it's companions now, of, the of the Prophet Muhammad.
0: Muhammad. Muhammad. P- okay, so black companions that, of the Prophet Muhammad, correct?
1: I, I believe that's the title. Okay, yeah. so I know there's that. The Caliph Sister is a great book that I I really um, benefited from, and you know, getting the stories for, about Nana Mawu from there. Other places, um, I really can't because the only things I can think of are. Of published PhD thesis.
0: <laughs> <I don't really laughs> of like yeah, I'm but gonna read this through this my lunch break. Be, this I'm little PhD, PhD bring thesis. Some information together,
1: in particular with parents and teachers in mind. <laughs> so, um, if you go to my Facebook page,
0: okay. So we will. So Facebook we will definitely share that information. And you are uh, doing a crowdfunding for the current. Is it for the book or the publishing house?
1: Um, I'm doing one for the book. And what's going to happen is once this book is done, I will be producing a lesson plan for it. And the lesson plans I've already written, I'm going to be publishing a lot of those as well so that they're available. too.
0: Okay. So we will share that on our social media, on our Twitter and Facebook page for you to um, follow and, you know, help produce this for, for young kids. Now, as we end the show, so there's two things that I, I always ask my guests. Number one, leave us with some thought for our listeners that you think that, that can, we can benefit from. And number two, tell people how to follow you or get in touch with you if they want to follow up.
1: Okay, great. Now, the book I was talking was called, the book talking about was called Centering Black Narrative. That's the book that I mentioned. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if you got the, the whole title. Okay, It's Black Muslim Nobles Among the Early Pious Muslims. So that's the book that I was talking about that had the um, information, that has quite a bit of information in it. Okay, the, two, the question you asked me, I would say try to talk to your children about history. You know, try to tell them stories about history. Try to, you know, get, because the thing is, even if it's a little bit shared, it does, these are things that our children do remember. Try to, learn your, try to learn as much yourself and try to share it. I know it's difficult because there is a lot out there, and sometimes it's difficult to find exact information. But if you just start with one book and just, you know, a few stories here and there, inshallah, it grows. Um, And that's the main advice I would give. For me, I don't have a website right now, but my Facebook page is Light Legacy Books. So you just put light legacy books in and it, it will come up. And what I want to do is put more information because I, I love these questions you're asking me because it's making me think about what parents are thinking about what mm. teachers need so I can start to share more of that information on that page, inshallah.
0: Okay. Light, like, like, light, like, starry light? <laughs> yeah.
1: Light? Light as in light. As okay. in these people are people of light. Okay. <laughs> and we're sharing their legacy, yes.
0: Okay. Light legacy books? Okay. We will... Correct. We will also... And... All of the listeners, you can go to MWM Radio on Facebook and on Twitter, and we will share and get you connected to the information that rakayat has shared with us today. I want to thank you so much for joining me, rakayat I am definitely going to, I, I feel like I need to go and learn some, and I'm going to actually look for some picture books for myself. <laughs> <laughs> And go find some. Yeah. <laughs> my kids are older, but I'm sure they would like some picture books <laughs> to find out information, because I think that that is certainly something that had has been missing through, throughout their um, education growing up. And I will admittedly say that, you know, uh, as my kids grew up in, um, I don't think that that was a, a a huge, if any part of their education system, learning about the the notable African scholars. Um, and so i like to thank you for joining us and I wish you all of the best and the success with your projects, because it is certainly something that is needed for sure. Um, and, um, thank you for everyone who has been listening. I want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook. If you are just tuning in, then, darn it you missed it that means you're gonna have to catch the episode on soundcloud or itunes because this is mubaraka and you've been listening to mornings with mubaraka on wnhhlp and i would like to remind you to be a voice and not an echo